0: This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, JOY. Keep JOY on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. JOY, a diverse sound for a diverse community. The Informer Daily is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. At JOY 94.9, we'd like to pay our ongoing respects to Elders past, present and emerging. The Informer is funded in part by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au, and of course, the members and donors of Joy 94.9.
1: This is The Informer Daily for Monday, the 27th of April, 2020. I'm your host, Arian Potts. Today, we have your COVID 19 update, and we're in what some people call the Great Pause. Book to Penny Miles about some of the challenges and some of the opportunities that are coming out of this time.
2: And again, this is the gift of time. How often do we ever get to do that? You know, it's so rare. You do something, you move on, you're on to the next thing. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful gift at this moment to keep being able to, you know, hopefully when we come out of whenever that is, yeah, it will be stronger and better and it will be a better community and an art, a more vibrant art sector.
1: But first, this update.
3: This is Dee Mason with the Joy 94.9 COVID-19 update for Monday the 27th of April. The COVID-19 tracking app is now live and over 1 million Australians have downloaded it. For the app to really work, 10 million people need to download it. The government is assuring people the data collected by the app is safe, despite concerns it's been stored by a foreign company, US tech giant Amazon. NAB is reporting a 51% drop in profits due to the establishment of an emergency COVID-19 fund designed to cover future losses from bad debts. The bank is asking shareholders to invest an extra $3.5 billion to begin recouping some of these losses. These results do not reflect the full COVID-19 fallout. It's likely we'll see more reports of losses in a couple of weeks when the other banks give their half-year reports to the ASX. Restrictions are beginning to ease in Italy, which have been in complete lockdown for seven weeks to contain one of the worst COVID-19 outbreaks globally. Public parks and gardens will reopen and residents will be allowed to visit relatives living in the same region as them starting from May the 4th. Later in May, libraries and museums will reopen and professional sports teams will be able to return to training. 17 police officers who had been involved in enforcing Peru's COVID-19 lockdown have died of the virus. Peru's Interior Minister, Carlos Moran, was fired on Friday amid criticisms he failed to provide officers with masks and medical care. Over 1,000 Peruvian police officers have contracted COVID-19 since the country's lockdown began. Queensland is the first state to announce major changes to its social distancing restrictions beginning on May 2nd. People will be able to leave their homes for non-essential activities. Queensland residents will be allowed to drive anywhere within 50 kilometres of their homes. Some national parks will reopen and people can go shopping for non-essential items. Western Australia has also announced a relaxing of restrictions which comes into effect today, with the two-person rule being lifted and gatherings of up to 10 people permitted. Both states say residents should still practice appropriate social distancing, including remaining one and a half metres away from others. Public parks in the Northern Territory will begin to reopen in the coming days to allow activities such as fishing and camping. Some national parks and parks within biosecurity zones will remain closed. Chief Minister Michael Gunner says the Territory Government will release a plan for further easing restrictions on Thursday.
1: You are listening to the Informer Daily on Joy 94.9 and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Penny Miles is the CEO of Circus Oz, and she's used her experience at the top of the arts sector as well as in government to outline some proposals for arts companies to change the way that they approach getting funding and to emphasize the importance of the arts and the economy. You recently wrote a piece uh, for Arts Hub where you talk about how the arts has been missing out on some of the stimulus funding that's been coming through
2: yeah i mean it's it's interesting we've seen a lot of support come out from the federal government i mean they have been amazing in terms of propping up the economy um but the arts has sadly really missed out and you know we can imagine we've seen airlines be supported um particularly qantas we've seen universities but the arts hasn't received a particular package and we're incredibly vulnerable so we've all been hoping and waiting uh also for the job keeper to see us through but unfortunately mm-hmm. many of our artists Um, go from contract to contract they're freelance and they're not protected or supported either so the lifeblood of our industry we desperately need support for and we've been asking and demonstrating how many people we employ I mean it's fascinating when you look at some of the fiscal um, reporting that's coming out we actually employ more people than the mining industry does but we believe you know the way we think about it in society is that mining is the backbone of this country, but the arts is a huge employer. And we really need that support to be able to keep these people, um, you know, surviving through this pandemic and also creating through this pandemic. So our request to go to government saying, here we are, we're a vital part of the economy, are failing. And I think the reason they're failing is we we haven't got the investment pitch right.
1: You know, you talk about how that the mining sector employs fewer people. Why do you think it is that the arts doesn't capture people's imagination that way? Or why do you think that people don't think of the arts as such a large sector?
2: Yeah, look, I don't think, I mean, partly we haven't been doing that ourselves. And and it's been an amazing realisation to be adding it all up. You know, our focus and energy has been always so much on our audiences and who we're engaging with. And seeing ourselves as an industry and part of economy and talking about ourselves that way isn't something we've been doing. And I think we need to, you know, we've now kept caught up to that, but we also need to go the next step further and go, it's not just what we're worth, it's what our value is as well. And when we start to think about our role in society, you know, here we are. have the government who's really keen to make sure that society springs back, that people come back out, that they want to engage, and when they engage They're going off to having dinner. They're going to see a show. We know that all the things that happen in and around the arts, that social connection gets people out and moving, and Mm -hmm. that also stimulates the economy. So we can see that we actually have a knock-on effect to a whole range of different businesses. And so pushing ourselves into that kind of space and going, it's not just about who we employ, it's also our value back to society Mm. and our value not just in monetary terms. So if we think about it now, particularly while we're all sitting and isolating in our homes, what are we missing? You know, that, that moment to connect.
4: Mm-hmm. Even
2: now, the quality, there's a lot of things going up on the internet. You could spend hours and lose yourself in TikToks. <laughs> um, but the quality pieces, those moments that inspire you, the moments that are going to help bridge you to whatever it looks like when we get to post-pandemic world. Mm-hmm. And there is an opportunity here to celebrate, to think about the parts of society that we love, to heal, to share stories. Um, you know, th- there's a whole range of things that the arts can do, both on the self- social well-being as well as the economic well-being.
1: Mm. How can the arts quantify their value in society better?
2: <sighs> it, it's so hard. It is really hard. I mean, maybe at this moment, you know, we're, there's a trap here. We are... We're, we're so value-driven as, as a sector and an industry um, and that we are still supplying people with content. You know, most of people are reading books. These are our writers, you know. Most people are tuning in to look at anything that we can get up online. We're, we're all trying to work how to do that better and with quality at the moment, um, particularly when we need to employ our artists. But if we try and imagine a world without the arts and without that, you know, that's it's almost like a negative gear conversation. It's easier to argue what we're worth when you can't see us there. Yeah. And sadly, that's where we're heading. So even though we know on the 14th of May, for example, that the government's thinking of relaxing some of these restrictions, the arts won't be in that space. Hmm. We'll be a long time before the theatres are back open. We'll still be social distancing and we can't really do those theatres. So I think that sense of missing the arts and recognising that will probably be help with that quantifying. Um, yeah. yeah it's, it's almost, you know, the minister, federal minister has come out and Talked about the fact we're priceless. Um, we're not priceless in the sense we're not worth investing in, um, but we, you know it is something that is integral to our lives.
1: Does the Australia Council play an expanded role in this?
4: Yeah,
2: I mean the Australia Council are our key national federal funding body, uh, so they they are a separate agency to the government in that space but they're the distribution arm if you like and the assisting policy and advising the government um and the australia council has a really good sense of what those needs are across you know across the industry right now they're doing a lot of reporting and capturing seeing where the risks are seeing how vulnerable we are um you know it's only been probably about two weeks but majority of the sector has had to go dark we've had to hibernate all our workforces yeah and and so they they're tracking that as well so that they're giving that information back through I I mean I think it's a it's a really interesting shift you know we have been all arguing this desperate need um but when we think about that kind of sense of worth and the need for investment you know we um we can look here in in Melbourne for example in Victoria and see that the The Creative Victoria and the Arts Minister down here, though, has just shifted to investment. Mm -hmm. They've just announced on the weekend um, a strategic investment fund of $13 million and also a further $2.2 million to support artists to make and create works that will help now while we're all in isolation, now while we're all still social distancing, and bridge that gap into post-pandemic. Now, that's only going to help us all a little bit, so yeah. we're near as much as what we need. But that's the shift, I think, that really the Australia Council can have a role. You know, it's it's doing a lot of distribution of grants, and the problem with the grant distribution is it's a little bit... Um, we all madly write applications. That takes time. We put our hand up. There's not much money at the other end, and it feels a bit like a lottery. We've got to work with them to get it. Yeah. Really, what we need is the federal government to the support the Australia Council to have a sizable amount of money that they that it can look across the sector at and see where the needs are, where will you invest, where would um, putting money into certain organisations can have a ripple effect across many artists mm-hmm. and allow them to kind of do that strategic placement of money.
1: And the Australia Council is changing to a four-year funding model. Why would that
2: matter now? Yeah, I think it's hard, isn't it? I mean... How do we, here we all are, um, you know, a few, you know, back on the 13th of March when this all started, who would have thought that we'd be racing to close theatres and we, you know, at Circus Horse we had people out on the road, we went to crisis management and within a week we had had to close our buildings and shut down our classes and, Mm. um, you know, and planning, planning now just feels like it's a, a continual loop. Um, <laughs> everything's been moving so fast, you know. Yeah. So the concept of four years, um, you're right, it's an interesting one. We may need to revise that, you know. Uh, how do you write a four-year plan when your first objective at the moment is just survival? Mm. Um, and then your second objective is to make sure that you're looking after society and the audience needs. Um, but, you know, none of us really know how far this road to recovery is, What does it look like at the other end? We know things, you know, every time there's been any major event in history, um, there's always a knock-on effect. Um, You know, you only have to think of, like, 9-11, for example, and how that changed what it felt like to get on a plane.
4: Hmm.
2: Um, And that was a one-day event on the other side of the world. We're all now in a global event that... We don't know how long this goes for. So, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it's an interesting question, you know. Of course, the security of 4U funding, though, is hugely valuable because Mm -hmm. it it then allows us to give that confidence and security back to artists who are one of the most vulnerable in terms of employment continuity um, Mm. in the workforces. So, yeah, so it's a a tricky question. I'm sure, though, you know what's really interesting about the moment? The opportunity we have now, though, is we have time. Yeah. We've got time like we've never had before. We're all sitting in our homes. And it's not just like a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. This is Mm once-in-a-generational, you know, almost epoch opportunity to imagine the future. And the arts, I think, is well-placed to help society do that. Um, You know, what I find really fascinating is, you know, let's think back to December. (laughs) And we're all sitting out there. (laughs) It just feels like a long time ago, right? It really
4: does.
2: (laughs) Yeah, here we are all in in December, and we've got protests out in the street, you know, about our climate change and let's save our environment. And then the pandemic comes, and we're all in our homes, and and the planet's healing. You know, there are cities that don't have smoke. You know, the waters of Venice are running clear yeah and you know we've got this opportunity now not just in the arts but we can help we can help amplify that story but for everybody all of us when we used to say gosh we're so busy i wish i had more time if i had time i'd help with that problem we can all seize this now as an opportunity this sense of time and get and think well maybe i won't Mm. pump all that you know i don't need to fly to sydney just for a meeting (laughs) maybe i could just zoom in there now yeah You know, so I think that, you know, when we think about any of these kind of um, conundrums, obviously we need money now to be able to support the artists, to have them in these kind of think tanks and and even not just for our own businesses, but what they can even inspire other businesses to think creatively about how they get through that recovery. But
4: Hmm.
2: I think we've got to look at it as opportunity.
1: And that's Penny Miles from Circus Oz speaking with me this morning. We'll be back with more. This is the Informer Daily on Joy 94.9 and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. We're speaking with Penny Miles from Circus Oz about some of the changes and opportunities that the Great Pause, as they're calling it, is giving us. One thing that you've reminded me of while we're speaking is that in the United States during the Great Depression, they created the Works Progress Administration, which built a lot of things like um, many towns have little parts of their parks that have been built by people who were on welfare and were paid to work and do things and artists were part of that. And so there's a lot of really iconic art in the United States from that period that was either created like through murals or um, there was a writer's program where they wrote Things like guidebooks to cities, or um, uh, performing arts, and so there was a really interesting period of opportunity for um, experimentation and for artists, especially people of color, to have their works performed and seen in a totally different way. Um, and see, people would see, amazing? yeah, and people would see some of the classic art, like you know, there are now these you know, get yourself cured of syphilis posters that hearken very much back to sort of a World War II thing. But that, that design and that style is is very similar to what came out of the WPA a couple of years before that.
2: Yep. Yeah, and this is exactly it, you know, and it doesn't have to be, you know, like what we were saying before about every major event having some sort of knock-on impact, mm. but it doesn't have to be a negative impact, you know, and the, this opportunity to share those stories and to amplify the experiences of a whole range of people through the, through these times or and or before and links back through is, you know, the arts does play a role in that, and I think... The other thing that's gonna get us through where well, money's going to be really tight now. Um, you know, we've seen we see the queues. Um, we know that everybody lots of businesses may not snap back. We hear yeah. the the you know, the um, governor of the RB of the you know, reserve bank telling us warming us up to the idea this could take a while. We need a bridge, you know. um, Although the government is doing everything it can in fiscal policy, let's imagine for a moment that money is not going to be our best resource. So what resources do we have left? We do have Mm -hmm. time. But the other thing I think we have is our ability to be creative. And we're all creative, every single one of us. Some of us just haven't been allowed to be creative and really use our thinking in a different way. And this Mm -hmm. is another thing I think the arts can do because – We've all been trained to be creative. Um, we know how to harness the creativity and to amplify it and to and put it inside frameworks. So there's, even for businesses, I think, that are not even slightly connected with the arts but are looking for innovative ways to look at themselves differently, um, you know, bringing an artist in and putting them in resonance on your board, you could find really natural and different ways of looking at things that might help you get through. And really, this is the ultimate business disruption, right? Mm. You know? Companies have got to ask themselves: Do they want to be? Are they going to come back out and lead strong? Are they going to be the Uber of the new world? Yep. Are they going to be a hard second, like a, you know, um, Apple Mac computers were to the PC? You know, they've got all these kind of things that'll have to be asking themselves, and they'll need different lines to help them look differently because it will be a different opportunity.
1: How would you sell that concept to a business that let's say let's like JJ's widgets out in an industrial estate that has a company big enough to have a board why why would putting in someone from the arts in a situation like that benefit them because it seems at first a bit illogical but I think you've got an idea there
2: yeah, I know. I'm only forming this, you know. Okay. I, think I, I, think I, I think I had this idea about two or three days ago, which, in, you know, in COVID timings, it was two weeks old, so it should be better developed. But I think, um, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> in all seriousness, I think really what we've got to realise is that, you know, we are moving this pandemic, no matter how long we're socially isolating, no matter how long it takes them to find a vaccine and or eradicate it, at least in Australia, and we've got our borders closed, whatever that, Mm-hmm. end date is, trigger point. We don't know what that is. But we've everything. what we knew is different. So if if we think about it that way, if we think about that yes, there'll be some threads that we recognize from the past, but the the whole thing is kind of unsettled. And when we're in that space, going back to what we knew and building ideas from that, there's a little bit of a, a flaw in that way. You'll only mm-hmm. end up with what you had before. You'll be pushing and fighting against something that no but no business is gonna just spring back and no tap just goes back on. Yeah. It will need thinking. And unfortunately, you know, humans, what what do we do? We look for consistency, we look for things that we understand. And if we don't understand everything and our own confirmation bias is our own world, then we it's really hard for us to do it alone. So mm-hmm. I think the thing is it's about different people and different thinking processes mm-hmm. and just helping be humble and open to different ideas. So If the arts has this kind of ability to harness creativity and think laterally, Mm. as a provocateur, that's a really great space to have somebody challenge you to go, you know, at this moment in time, we don't – nobody has all the answers. Yeah. But most companies also need to realize they don't have all the questions as well. Mm. And that's the thing, I think, that having you know somebody that comes from a different field can look at you with fresh eyes, mm-hmm. can h- help you come into... You know, a lot of boards will be really practiced at critical thinking, which will be great at this time. Yeah, But what they might not have is the creativity to match those two together and really turn it into a thinker mm.
4: Um,
1: If we can switch totally, um, I'd like to talk about when Circus Oz uh, decided to close most of its operations and bring people back into the field, because um, those stories are, I think, actually quite unique, because we're probably not going to experience something like that again. Can you talk about when you guys made a decision and how you supported your staff to, to come back home in such a stressful yeah. time?
2: Oh, it was really hard. I mean, look, we were, we had this, um, there were a few arts leaders that recognized probably about a week before The 13th of March. So Friday the 13th of March is our kind of moment in time when it all started. Mm. Um, And that was the day. It has to be a Friday the 13th. It It
4: was,
1: now that I think about it,
2: yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's Mm. really easy to remember. Um, Mm. But about a week before that, we started doing some risk assessment work and started imagining what might happen if. um, So we were a little bit prepared. But to be honest, at that time, I think all of us here, you know, everybody was starting to, you know, we were getting messages that maybe it's just a really bad cold, you know. Mm. So we possibly didn't put as much energy in as we could have, um, we were working on it. Um, and then we watched, it was just like a domino effect. So mm-hmm. Friday the 13th, uh, um, 500 the 500 gathering stopped, and we were part of the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. And our poor colleagues there were the very first to have to, in Australia to have to call off yeah. You know, a, a big arts event. And so we had to go as well because we were part of the festival. So that was our first thing. We had people out on the road mid-itinerary. They were literally moving from regional town to regional town, Mm -hmm. incredibly stressful, Um, and the information wasn't that strong. So, yeah, we had the same thing. We had to be working with those venues going it's 500 at the moment. If your venue's that big, we can't perform for you. Most of those regional towns, they were small. We had a lot of regional towns saying, no, please come, we still need you. Our team went and did a show, and a very, very small group of people were brave enough to turn up. Mm. And we're starting now thinking, let's not forget, this is only about two days. I think it's the Sunday. It was moving so fast. Um, And then we also had in our building, we've got a huge amount of people that turned up for classes, Um, regular, you know, from small kids through to adults doing a range of different circus skills classes from trapeze and yep. acrobatics and things like that and we were oh we've got a lot of people in moving around and we've got so much care and protection for them so um so we basically had to for that, get all that communication out to everybody <laughs> and then while also monitoring and hoping that our team are right road. and even though it's a tricky space for us because when we go out to those venues, those venues buy our show, they've got the audience relationship. And we didn't want to let people down in regional Australia. We know how tough they've been doing it. We've just had the bushfires. We can bring a moment of love. We'll be there. Mm-hmm. But as we started thinking about it, we are like, but hang on, what if our team is even being responsible for moving this virus around? We can't do this either. Yeah. You know, so within 24 hours, yeah, it was bring them home. Um, and then bring them home. And we made the tough decision and I think this is, you know, with, with both our casual teachers in classes and the people out in the road, we made the really tough decision to say, we're going to keep paying you. Your work is stopped, but we're yeah. going to keep paying you because people are so important. You know, these are vulnerable staff in terms of that they, you know, they don't get paid a lot. they they. Business employment history doesn't mean that they'll always have a permanent job. They're moving from place to place. Yeah. And we just did it and prayed and hoped that the government would come through. You know, the JobKeeper cut for some but not all. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I think this is, again, why the arts is probably really needing it because most of us have made that the personal support, you know, we've got to look after people at this time more than anything. All of us do, you know. So, but, yeah, it was, um, look, it all happened within, I think, that moment... By so that was the Friday. By the Wednesday, mm-hmm. we had the building closed up, all our staff at home, um, and you know, learning how to how to be uh, you know doing Zoom and things like that we'd never done before. Yeah, it was it was it was almost like we all had to learn how to become um, one like an army to get everything <laughs> out the door. You know, it was yeah. quite an experience. So. Um, And I'm sure that what I'm I'm reflecting is no different to a lot of people, um, but it it just felt hyper and elevated. And it felt hyper and elevated as well because the rest of society wasn't necessarily at that pace yet. The arts had the first wave of closures. Um, And so there wasn't much advice. You just had to keep moving keep doing it and anticipate The one good thing about being on the first wave though is you get very good at quickly predicting what you think is going to happen next Mm. and listening and and imagining it. And again, our imagination skills and our creativity allowed us to go, well, hang on a minute. Where do we think we're heading? What do we think might happen next? Mm. So, you know, we were kind of usually about one or two days just before, you know, I didn't want my my team, my most important thing for me was to be as stable and clear for the team as possible to avoid panic. And so the saying to those, you know, I could imagine that we were getting to that point that they were going to say, okay, no more gatherings of until, you know, we're getting down to two now. Um, all right, let's, I'm going to call it a day at least about now. And then what would happen, sure enough, everyone, they know it's coming, I'm messaging it's coming. And then the government announced it a day later, but we'd already done it. So no one panicked, but trying, if we tried to get the classes out on the day that, you know, with those announcements are rolling out every day, that could have been a huge amount of panic. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, most of us hopefully have come out of this and, you know, some great moments for our CV, but unfortunately we've all got the same moment, you know. So, <laughs> so, so how to manage through a pandemic, you know. Um, yeah, it's not going to be a rare skill, unfortunately, is it? Um, but it's, but it's, <laughs> it's moments you know. Yeah,
4: um, but it is true. those moments
2: that we, yeah. I, but I do think there are these moments that you have to go, um, we've got to also celebrate the the things that we've done well. None of us know. There's no perfect answer for any of this. Mm. Um, But also equally be continually learning. That's just one of the things as a manager that I'm, you know, in my executive director role, I'm sitting there constantly refining, listening, watching and improving as we go through this. And again, this is the gift of time. Mm. How often do we ever get to do that? You know, it's so rare. You do something, you move on, you're on to the next thing. Um, it's It's a beautiful gift at this moment to keep, being able to you know hopefully when we come out of um whenever that is um yeah it will be stronger and better and it will be a better community and an art, a more vibrant art sector um, if we get the right support on this journey
1: penny miles from circus ours. That's all for us today. Thanks so much to Dee Mason, Emily Johnson, Nicholas Kemenyar-Sandry, Toby Halligan, Jordan Johnstone, Rachel Tyler-Jones, and all of the great people at the Community Radio Network. We'll be back tomorrow. I'm your host, Marian Potts. Mahalo
0: is funded in part by the community broadcasting foundation cbf.com.au and of course the members and donors of joy 94.9 you can help us by visiting joy.org.au and become a member or donate any amount helps us bring you community powered radio thank you thanks for listening to another joy podcast brought to you by australia's lgbtqia plus community media organization joy help us keep joy on air